The following sermon audio is from The Source Church in Plainfield, Illinois. More information about The Source Church can be found at www.thesourcechurch.life. We are going to read from John 15 today. Um, If you're using a Bible from the back table, that's on page 1126. Uh, If you don't have a Bible um, and you like the Word of God in your hands, you can feel free to take that home. That's a gift from this body to you. Um, But uh, as we read from the Gospel, if you wouldn't mind standing with me, we'll be reading uh, chapter 15. We'll be starting in verse 5 and running through verse 8. Verse 5 reads, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so, and so prove to be my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father God, we ask, we plead that you would bring life from your words this morning. Bring conviction of sin, bring courage to live the lives that you have for us. Shepherd us as your people from your word. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Do you know what the worst Christmas song is? I mean, I think we're all entitled to our opinion, right? Um, <laughs> oh, I forgot about that one. Yeah. Well, in my book, the worst Christmas song, well, okay, and... Yes, I would put Baby It's Cold Outside as a close second, but really the one that depresses me starts like this. So this is Christmas, and what have you done? Another year over, and a new one just begun. A very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Let's hope it's a good one without any fear. Now, I get that this was written in the wake of the Vietnam War, But still, I kind of resent John Lennon's tone of futility and uncertainty. Let's hope it's a good one. The song does raise a question, though. What does make for a happy new year? What makes for a life where we can do more than just hope it's a good one? Is there any way to ensure that we won't be controlled by fear? The answer isn't positive thoughts or fervent hopes for changed circumstances? The answer is connection to the living God who holds this world's circumstances in the palm of his hand. So because this time of year can be useful for introspection and vision for the future, uh, yes, we will get back to Hebrews. We're going to start that back with that next week and finish the book um, in the weeks to come, a couple months, actually. But I want to take a week now to talk about prayer. Uh, Because if you want to see change in your life or you want to see change in the church or in the world, prayer is where you need to start. But what is prayer? Why is it necessary? What does it accomplish? Let's press in and think about that. Our verses for this week are within a larger section in which Jesus explains 
to his followers the relationship that they need to have with him after he will leave them to return to the Father. And these things were spoken by Jesus at the Last Supper. He knew how things would play out, and he knew that his disciples weren't prepared to do life without him. So he teaches them, he teaches them here using some vineyard imagery. Now, grapes were all over that region. And so this would have been an everyday picture that they could see and they could remember what he, what he had said to them. And he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. So with the, with the grapevine imagery, there's this central vine. There are branches that grow off of the vine, and then it's off of those branches that the grapes grow. Now, obviously, branches that are cut off of the vine would be in very bad shape. They wouldn't be able to receive the necessary nutrients in order to bear fruit. So a connectedness to the central vine is absolutely essential. And that's exactly what the rest of verse 5 points out, that whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So you don't, you don't look for green leaves to emerge in a pile of firewood. And you don't look for light to come from a bulb if the lamp is unplugged. Right? And similarly, apart from abiding in Jesus, we can do nothing. No good fruit, no good and lasting fruitful action or speech can occur if one is not abiding in Christ. And the word abide is used a lot throughout this section, and that's the main emphasis of the passage. So even though I'm talking about prayer this morning, the broader concept of abiding is really what John is focused on. But what is abiding in the context of this passage? We see in verses 9 and following that abiding in Jesus means loving Jesus. We also see in the following verses that abiding in Jesus means obeying Jesus. But in our verses, especially brought into focus in verse 7, abiding also means letting God's word abide in us. And it means making requests of our Lord. So it means receiving words and giving words. Communication is a huge part. Of abiding. So it's important for us to understand that prayer is relationship. Prayer is relationship. We need to understand that because there is a way of doing prayer that is relationally anemic. You know who prayed more than anyone else in Jesus' day? The Pharisees. Okay, Rob said Jesus. That's, that's technically true. I'm, I'm sure he was the most prayerful person. But other than Jesus, who prayed the most in Jesus' day, it was the Pharisees. Uh, they were more structured and consistent with their prayer lives than anyone else. And yet, for the most part, they completely missed the heart of God. And in the church today, we can do the same thing. We can be so fervent about prayer, and yet we can miss the whole point of prayer. It's not like a coffee house rewards program where the more visits you clock, the more rewards you're, you're certain to receive. No, the whole point is to know God and to invite God to search and to know you. What, do, what would it be like if you met up with a spouse or a parent or a sibling at a restaurant and you made it clear that, through your tone, you made it clear that you were basically there to check an item off your list? And you ask them the usual questions in a mechanical way. And every time they asked, you know, something personal about you, you just kind of um, started talking about someone else. And then you looked at your watch and you got all shifty and you kind of closed down the time. 
And then, in your own mind, when you think back on those, those meetings, you're, you're very proud of yourself and like, oh, I'm, I'm quite predictable in this relationship. Good job, me. And it's like a gold star in how you think about yourself and present yourself to others. I would say that that's not a very healthy relationship, right? It's not, it's not going to be good in the long run. And similarly, prayer at its core isn't about meeting objectives, but it's about connecting with the most important relationship that we have. Our God is to be known, not just known about. Now hopefully this view of prayer as relationship will free you. It'll free you up to, to feel like you can turn to prayer at any time. You don't have to be kneeling in a church. You can be driving in your car. You can be walking in your neighborhood. You can be washing dishes in your kitchen. Any context in which you would talk to a loved one or a friend, you know, you can, you can talk to God. Um, some people bring a journal along and write prayers to God at a cafe or, or whatever. Just as you go, you can pray. Now, there may also be value in sometimes kneeling at home behind closed doors because God, for all of his nearness, he is still the transcendent God, and it, it does us good sometimes to face him in silence and, and even to show with the posture of our bodies that, that he, we, he is God and we are his humble servants, Right? My point is that there's no time and there's no place in which our Father doesn't welcome our prayers. And, and he loves connection with his people. He loves it when we approach him through his Son with hearts carried along by his Spirit. And in the midst of, of this relationship, we see also that prayer is like breathing. Prayer is like breathing. How is prayer like breathing? Well, Jesus said that apart from abiding in him, you can do nothing. If you don't breathe, you don't get oxygen through your blood to your brain or your other organs and limbs, and you, you can do nothing, literally. The activity of breathing is always there in the background because it has to be. And prayer must always be there in the background. It has to be. Your soul needs prayer. Not your prayers for other people. Your soul needs prayers for your own heart before God. Without open connection to our God, we stop operating. Our souls will go into a coma, so to speak. No good will come from it. Apart from him, we can do nothing. But also think about verse 6. It says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. So it's a biological fact that if you don't breathe, you die. And it's a theological fact that if you don't abide in Christ, one component of which is prayer, then you will spiritually die. And I don't think it's any accident that these comments about abiding in John 15, they happen right after Judas left to betray Jesus. He did not abide in Jesus. At some point, Judas had stopped talking honestly with Jesus. Maybe he kept up a facade and, and gave empty words. Maybe he just pulled away and stopped communication altogether. Well, similarly, when people drift away from the living God, it's never in the midst of a season of joyful prayer. It's when they've stopped communicating openly with God and they've shut his word out from their minds. And then these branches that have severed themselves from the main vine, if they persist in that separation, they will be purged from God's vineyard, which ultimately means exclusion from the new heavens and new earth. And when we realize that stark reality, it leads to a certain vigilance in prayer. We understand that there is an enemy of our souls, and, 
He would like nothing more than to disconnect us from that central vine. He will distract us. He will accuse us of being bad at prayer. He will tempt us with thoughts of prayer being silly or pointless. And so if you don't see that a cosmic battle is going on for your soul, then you're probably going to have little motivation to pray. John Piper puts it this way. You cannot know what prayer is for until you know that, prayer, that life is war. You cannot know what prayer is for until you know that life is war. So with that, that wartime mentality, prayer is how faith that is stable grows into an impenetrable shield. And when your faith is being tested, when, it, when you're, you're just trying to hang on amid the onslaught of evil deception and, and temptation and persecution, prayer is what is going to enable you to stay connected to the vine. So what sort of things does this abiding and and breathing prayer say? And a lot of people get hung up on the thought, I don't really know how to pray. But that's just not true. You know how to talk to a loved one, right? And when you do, when you talk to someone you care about, you aren't driven solely by an agenda. And you don't talk nonstop, but you also stop to listen. You don't merely make requests, but you also, you process what you're feeling. You share what you're hoping. And you're able to communicate freely with this person because they are a safe place. And similarly, Psalm 62 says to us, pour out your hearts to God because he is our refuge. Pour out your hearts to him. That's what prayer is. So you don't have to pray just like everyone else because you don't talk to anyone in just the same way that another person does, right? There's no secret art behind prayer. It's just honesty, sincerity, persistence, just like communication with anyone. The more you pray, the more comfortable you'll be praying, and the more you'll enjoy it. So we're getting a feel for a sort of rhythm of the Christian life wherein prayer happens you know, organically. It, it, it happens you know, by ourselves, it happens in groups, because that's just the way that our relationship with God stays alive. But this talk of, of prayer as rhythmic relationship and, and akin to breathing, it, it might make it sound as if prayer is mundane or predictable. But nothing could be further from the truth. Verse 7 tells us, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Ask whatever you wish. That's huge. That turns prayer into an adventure. It turns it into a, this grand quest. And it's, it's a means of transforming the world around us. We see this elsewhere in the Gospels too, where Jesus tells his disciples, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. So prayer is mountain moving. That's, that's a metaphor, but it's also not a metaphor, right? It's, it's totally real. Like if there was a, a mountain that needed to be moved, then the prayer of faith could accomplish that. Maybe that's happened at, at some point in history. I don't know. Like, certainly we know the natural order has been shifted in all sorts of ways when it suits God's plans. Fortunately, most of the time, I think mountains are right where they need to be. Uh, but we can see in these words well, you know, that God uses our prayers to accomplish all sorts of massive things. Massive things. 
And when we look back in history, we're going to see how prayer overturned regimes and empires. We're going to see how it, it uh, ended slavery, curbed injustice, prevented the killing of children, raised up people to serve the poor and orphans and widows. We'll see how prayer conquered addictions, how it put broken homes back together, how it advanced the good news of the kingdom to every corner of the world. And we may not see that cumulative fruit of prayer clearly all the time. If we did, I'm I'm confident we would pray a lot more. But given this power of prayer that we're told about here, given this generous invitation from our omnipotent God to be bold in our request to him, one implication is, is certainly that prayer is the best way to serve the people that he's placed in our lives. So husbands, if, if we're not praying daily and specifically for our wives, what are we doing? How, how then are we really protecting them or providing for them uh, to the extent that we should? And parents, do you pray throughout the day for your children? Employees, are you taking problems with your bosses and coworkers to prayer, or are you simply trying to solve them in your own resources? And congregants, what do we need as a church? What do we need to mature us? We've been told to ask whatever we wish. Do we really believe this, that it will be done for us? It's true that sometimes we, we don't see, we don't understand how God is using our prayers. And sometimes, sometimes we do see clear answers to our prayers. Other times the connection feels less certain. But in the book of Revelation, we, we just get this, this really cool glimpse. We see that the prayers of the saints are like incense poured out in the presence of God. And in response, at the appointed moment, he acts definitively against the wicked and the unjust. And so you can know that even if you don't see the clear answer to your prayer in the time frame that you expected, your prayer is never wasted. It is accomplishing something in God's economy, in God's timing. Prayer does move mountains. Now, of course, verse 7 has been taken out of context by some false teachers who uh, use it to seek material wealth for themselves. Oh, I ask whatever you want and it'll be done. So there's, there's an important caveat to this promise that any request will be done for you. It says, if my words abide in you. If my words abide in you. So there's a control on all of this. It's not our will be done, but his will be done. And our prayers will hit the mark when our desires have been shaped by what pleases him. And this is why the Bible says things like, delight yourselves in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So when you delight in the Lord and when you cherish his words and you start to learn his heart, you see that his heart is so perfect that those things become the desires of your heart as well. And then God is generous to grant them. Now, maybe in a relationship, you've seen that. You've seen how, like, two people can start to grow alike um, as they're exposed to the good things from each other's um, perspectives or experiences. They start to share those things. They become true of both of them. Well, it's just like that for us in relationship with God, only it's one-sided since he is the source of all good. So we need his words to shape how we pray. Okay, well, that's, that component now is making prayer look a little more complex. But let's remember, it's not saying, if you master my words. It's saying, if my words abide in you. So in some ways, it's, it's the words themselves that are doing the work of living in you. 
and we can assume that it's, it's the author of those words who's bringing that about. But it raises the question, have you made yourself a welcome abode for the word of God? What do you do with his words when you encounter them? Are you dull of hearing? Are you just going through the motions? Or do you eagerly receive God's words? Do you interact with them? Do you speak of them with others? Do you seek to remember what you've heard? This is a huge part of why we have sermons each week. So that we can know the mind of God and be shaped by his desires. So we can learn how to pray. But you should also be supplementing these sermons with with your self-feeding encounters with God's word. Now, I'm not here to put any new laws on your shoulders, okay? It's not, again, it, it's, it's not about checking boxes here. But it's, it's just a truth, an objective truth, that if you want to know how to effectively pray, then you're going to want your thoughts to be saturated with this book. It's just the way it is. And what does prayer look like when it's shaped by the words of God? You can see examples of it in prayers of Old Testament figures like Moses, Ezra, Daniel, the psalmist. It's like they're reminding God of his history with his people, and they're reminding God of his promises that he gave to his servants in the past, and then they call on him to make good on those desires that he had revealed. And that that may seem pushy. It may sound like we're, we're trying to force God's hand, but he doesn't see it that way. It's no surprise to him what he's promised in the past, and he loves hearing his people repeat his words back to him. He's thrilled to generously fulfill all that he has said he will do. Now, if you want to dig into this concept of praying God's words back to him, uh, this book has been a help to many people. It's called Praying with Paul by D.A. Carson. And what this book does is it basically just breaks down the prayers of the Apostle Paul that you find in in the epistles. And it kind of highlights those requests and then, you know, shows us how we can pray those things for ourselves and we can pray these things into our communities. And um, the scope of Paul's prayers, I mean, it's it's massive. (laughs) It's not limiting in any way, trust me. He, He prays for everything from, like, the eyes of people's hearts to be open to protection from enemies to to courage if he prays for courage and boldness and he prays for the lord's return you'll find a lot of things to latch on to if you just look at the prayers of paul now if if praying according to scripture feels a little bit overwhelming like you know maybe you feel like you don't know your bible very well yet you certainly don't have to learn it perfectly before you start praying with god's word abiding in you Just latch on to the section of the Bible that you're learning presently and use that as fuel for your prayers. Any passage will do. And this is why during our prayer calls in the mornings and also in our prayer meetings on Sunday nights, one part of what we do is always a response to a scripture reading. Because, you know, while we may not be masters of the whole Bible, we can certainly just start praying from whatever we've just read. And his word always, always exposes things that we should be praying for, but we just forget to. We neglect them. And, and his word also puts things into perspective. You know, sometimes we think something's super important and urgent, and God in his wisdom just doesn't see it that way. So his word reorients us. And a great place also, if you want to think about his word abiding in you and guiding your prayers, start with the Lord's Prayer. Use each phrase 
as a category of things to pray for. Declare the holiness of our Father's name. Ask for his kingdom to come and to replace all of the broken things that you see on this earth. Ask for yourself and for the people around you, like government leaders, bosses, neighbors, whoever. Ask that we would do his will and not our own. Ask for daily bread. Not just food, but really anything that you need in order to make it through the time at hand. Ask for forgiveness. Take time to confess any areas of your life in which you haven't allowed him to rule as Lord. And then realize that if you want forgiveness from him, you're going to have to grant forgiveness to the people who have hurt you. So pray for them, specifically by name. Ask God for grace to, to enable you to love your enemies. Pray that he would protect you from all the sins that alluringly call your name, that he would deliver you from evil. And you know when you, you pray things like this, in categories right from scripture, you know that anything in these categories is something he wants to do for you. He will answer your prayers. So we can be confident, not only because his word abides in us and is guiding our prayers, but also we can be confident because we know that God wants to accomplish something through our prayers. Verse 8 assures us that by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. You know, across the pages of the Bible, we see that two things are inextricably linked. The glory of God and the well-being of humanity. Our greatest good is to be in the presence of God's glory, enjoying God's glory. And it's something that we can do now because of Christ. You know, previously we would have been destroyed by his holiness, but now in Christ we can draw near. And so as Christians, a little part of us should jump for glee whenever we read that God is going to do something to glorify himself. He's going to magnify himself. Or like our text last week in Isaiah said, that the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. These sorts of thoughts should excite us because we know that we were made for God and seeing him as he is that, is, that is the most beautiful and fulfilling experience that a person can have. So God is passionate about his glory. Now, if one of us were in the business of glorifying ourselves, that would be pretty lousy because we are not glorious, right? And so beholding us doesn't give the world joy. God is the only one for whom it is morally right to point to his own greatness as everyone's greatest good, greatest pleasure, because he alone is objectively good. Therefore, it's morally right for him to seek to share that good with the whole world. Well, this God who is passionate about his own glory, it says here that he is glorified when we bear much fruit and thereby show ourselves to be true followers of Jesus. So not, not only does our bearing fruit give glory to the Father, but it also proves that we belong to Jesus. And how do we bear that fruit? The fact that verse 8 follows directly after verse 7 implies that it is largely through bold and scripture-driven prayers that the grapes will grow on the branches that abide on the vine. God wants us to bear fruit. Fruit like transformation for your own character. Fruit like people coming to Christ around us. Fruit like justice being worked 
and the knowledge of God faithfully held out in the midst of a crooked generation. He is making all things new. He's making ourselves new, the world, everything. We get to be part of it. Our prayers are like the nourishing sap, like the good means that God uses to produce good things in us and through us. And because God wants our prayers to be effective and and he wants us to be fruitful, that should give us great confidence when we pray because we're not pleading with someone who has to be convinced to bring about good. We're talking to the one who sees the good perfectly and he longs for us to ask for it. Even as a father with a child is thrilled to give good things that the child comes to realize that he or she needs and that the parent loves to, to hear them ask for it. And so Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? These promises should make us willing to labor in prayer. And it will be labor. It's, it's not easy work. We may live in the most difficult culture ever in which to pray. We make our lives so busy. There's so many distractions all around us. We have no clue how to be both silent and truly focused. 15 years ago, I was talking with a a missionary who God had used to do some, some pretty cool stuff, and I asked him what a key moment in his development was. And he shared that, that he had asked, years before, he had asked an older man to mentor him. And when the, the older man told him to show up at a certain time in a certain place, and when the younger man arrived, he was kept waiting an irritating amount of time for 50 minutes, just sitting there in a room by himself. And finally, when the older man showed up, the, the younger man asked, like, hey, is, there, is everything okay? Is there a problem? Or is this arrangement not, not really going to work for you? And the older man responded, there's no problem. The waiting was part of your training. Your generation has absolutely no clue how to be still before God. And in subsequent weeks, across months, in fact, there, there were other intervals of silence imposed on this young man. And, I mean, in time, the mentorship went other directions as well. But the pupil was forever shaped by what he learned during those times of quiet. And I share this story because given our culture's constant noise and, and our culture's priority on tangible results, prayer is not going to just happen. We'll have to reshape our tendencies. We'll have to be intentional about becoming prayerful. And a great way to do that is to pray with other people. You know, our life groups are a place where we're meant to get after that learning to pray together, not only for the needs of others, but also in response to the text that we've been studying, praying for the states of our own souls, you know, the needs that we all have to grow in this life of Christ. And um, in addition to life groups, you can also plug into the morning prayer call any weekday from 7.30 to 8. It's a great way to start your day. You know, some people call in from their cars just outside their offices. Other people are able to step away from things at home for a mere 30 minutes. It's great because the day has barely started and then you feel like you've accomplished so much and it leaves you with joy and hope 
because you remember that the living God is at work in this new day. So please speak to Lynn or Jim if you have any questions about those calls or any trouble calling in. Or what are you doing on Sunday nights? I don't mean what are you in the habit of doing on Sunday nights, but what do you really want your Sunday nights to be about? Uh, We're not strict Sabbatarians here, okay? So we believe that keeping the Sabbath day that's fulfilled in the whole Christian life, but still there is something for us to learn from how the Jewish Sabbath was a full 24-hour period. And that's part of why we, we placed prayer meeting on Sunday night, because it's good for your soul to take a whole day for God-centered rest. And some of you may say, like, whoa, whoa, that's, that's family time, buddy. And I want to challenge that perspective. For centuries, and, and even now in most parts of the world, family time for Christians happens on Saturday or other times, but Sundays are for the family of God. Certainly your nuclear family should be included in that. It can be a family time within a family time, but it won't teach our kids much about treasuring God and his people if we treat our homes and their activities as the most important thing that's happening on earth right now. So just as we need to be more fervently prioritizing getting our families to church every Sunday morning, why not also try capping off our Sunday nights with prayer before you head into a difficult week? Because I guarantee it's going to sustain us much better than the TV shows we'll likely end up watching instead. If you have any questions about Sunday night prayer meetings or what that looks like, what's involved, you can talk to me, you can talk to Pastor Victor. And if you're a woman, you have even one more option for prayer meetings. The, the monthly time at Chandra's house on the first Monday of the month. I've been hearing great things about that time. So I really encourage you, whether or not you feel like you're able to pray by yourself, pray with others. If you're insecure about it at all, just come. You don't even have to pray out loud. Just be with us. Silently agree with the prayers and, and even if your work or your family situation is one where you literally can't make the formal prayer meetings work, well, great, make, make your own prayer meetings. Find a brother or sister or two, get together occasionally at your house or someplace where it's convenient. It'll boost your personal prayer life, and, and this is a big part of why God binds us together in local churches so that we can pray together. But if we're going to imitate our rabbi Jesus, we're also going to need to develop habits of personal prayer. And believe me, I'm not nearly as faithful in this as I want to be. So don't view me as any sort of prayer hero. But I I will share with you some tactics that have been helpful for me in recent years. Pretty much all of us have smartphones, and you can get now, you can get several prayer apps are out there. The one I use is called Echo. It's a bit of work to set up, but, but then it makes it easy for you to track the items that you want to be consistently remembering to pray for. And if apps aren't your thing, then um, a simple notebook will work, and it'll help you remember what to pray for. And it'll also help you to keep track of answered prayer, okay? Things that you can give thanks for. Like how much of our feelings of futility in prayer comes from not remembering what God has done, not giving thanks to him. So I dare you to keep track of your prayers over the months and years and see if you still feel like God rarely answers prayer or, or that, it, that prayer is frustrating. Remember and give thanks when you pray. 
And if, like me, you're a product of your society and you do have a problem being still, you can always try praying while walking. And if, like me, you sometimes have trouble focusing or staying awake when you're praying, you can pray out loud, even if you're by yourself. Uh, but if you're going to combine those strategies like I do sometimes, if you're, you're walking and you're praying out loud by yourself, if someone's passing, you might want to shift to silent prayer just, just for a, a second, just friendly suggestion there. Um, but look, there, there's no silver bullet for developing a thriving life of prayer. But there are concrete steps that you can take. There are, there are strategies that you can try. And the question is, really, the question is whether you want to, right? Like 2023, can, it can look a lot like the previous years. If you simply default to where inertia is going to carry you, but is that what you want? Or do you want a truly happy new year, a certain hope of a good one where connection with God dispels fear? Then you'll have to pray. So let's commit together that by grace this will be a new season of more closely abiding in Christ, bearing much fruit, having his words abiding in us, and confidently asking for seemingly impossible good things, knowing that our God delights in saying yes. So let's pray to him even now. Our good God, if, if we are to become truly a people of prayer, we know we know that it has to be your doing. The power isn't within us. And so we look to you to shape our hearts, to shape our patterns of living. Give us the, the intentionality we need. Give us change. And glorify yourself, Father, by causing us to bear much fruit and proving through our answered prayers that we are disciples of Jesus. Pray it in his name. Amen.